Hey, welcome, welcome again. You know, uh, a lot of you maybe have been here before, but uh, even if you haven't been here that many times, or even if it's your first time, something a little bit unusual about our church is that we're very touchy-feely. I don't know if you know that, but, you know, I remember how shocked I was the first time I came, and people were hugging. Some of them were hugging just full, straight-on hugs. It turned out they weren't even related. Some of them didn't even know each other. But uh, anyway, we, uh, we do want to be, I love what Lynn said in the beginning about the fellowship break and all that. And it could be awkward if you're new here. I do hope that you and us, sort of those that have been here for many years and those that are maybe new, that we can interact with each other, greet each other warmly and all. I do think that uh, it probably is wise, being the flu season that we're in, that we uh, not be quite as touchy-feely. In fact, I know several people I've come up to this morning that I wanted to hug them or give them a high five, and they were like, no. Now, I'm hoping that's because they thought I might be a flu carrier and not just on the general principles of where they view our relationship. But anyway, instead of being uh, so touchy-feely, perhaps we should become at least temporarily known as the fist bump Church of Christ. Okay, that might work better. Uh, none of us, uh, we don't want any more of us to get the flu than need to, right? So I'm very excited. You can turn over to Luke chapter 15. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along, I do believe that they will put the Scriptures on the screen so you can do that as well. But I'm very excited about This is the one new lesson that I'm presenting, sort of brand new lesson in this First Principles Refresh study. And I want to start with a question. It's a little bit of a tongue twister, so I want to want you to engage with me here. And here's the, the question. What do you think that God thinks when He thinks about you? Did you follow that? What do you think that God thinks when He thinks about you? And it turns out that's a really important question because our picture of God and our view of God greatly impacts our desire to have a relationship with God, our desire to have uh, pursue our faith and even pursue the God or Jesus at all. So it is a, a very important question. I think if we had time to answer that and we were really honest, and I think sometimes it's hard to be honest. We, we call ourselves a Lifeway Church. One of the reasons is real life God's way. And so what we're trying to do in all of our relationships, and we do it on Sunday, but hopefully we do it when we meet through the week and, and converse with each other, is that we are honest with each other about what we really think or what we really feel. And it, I think a lot of us, I think uh, if we were really honest, what do we think that God thinks when He thinks about us? Uh, we might answer, you know, I think to tell you the truth, He's, uh, he's a little disappointed in me. Uh, you might say, I believe that God is, maybe has a more intense fear, that He's just frustrated with me. I, you may believe that God is just angry with me, and He is so angry with me, and so disappointed in me, that He wants nothing to do with me. Some of you might think, when, uh, when I ask you, what do you think God thinks when He thinks about you, you may think, well, I don't think He thinks about me at all. And maybe that's a, uh, the way that you feel. And I think a lot of us can relate to those particular feelings. I think a lot of us assume that God thinks about us what we think about ourselves. Have you noticed that in your own life? 
If you're disappointed in yourself, you feel like God must be disappointed. If you're upset with yourself, you're angry with yourself, you're unhappy with yourself, then you feel like God must be the same way. Uh, Sometimes it's not ourselves. Sometimes we assume that God feels about us the way that other people feel about us. Have you ever noticed that in your life? We tend to think that the way other people evaluate us or judge us or communicate with us, that we assume that God feels exactly the same way. Some of us you think, may think that God thinks about you according to how you perform or how good you are or the things that you do. That God's feeling towards you is based on those things. And that's pretty common as well because we live in this world, right, where we're constantly being evaluated and performing. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but if you go to school, you got to perform, right? Uh, you're on the job, you gotta, you got to do you know, you don't just get to uh, just show up or not show up, as the case may be. But anyway, what do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? And we all use all these different metrics to sort of think that and decide that. Here's the challenge I have to you. Here's what I want you to consider. What if none of that was true? What if God's thinking about you had nothing to do with what you think about yourself, had nothing to do with other people thought about you, had nothing to do with anything that you did or said or didn't say or didn't do or thought or didn't think. What if that was true? What if that was none of that was a way to describe and determine what God thinks about you? Well, let's go to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to answer that question today. The only question we're going to try to answer today is that one. What does God think when he thinks about you? And we're going to answer that hopefully today. The situation here is in Luke chapter 15. Luke is one of the four men who wrote about the life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, this may be familiar to you, but if even if it is, I want you to try to read it like it's the first time. Because I believe... That this lesson that we need today, there's a reason that it's first. There's a reason that we need it when we maybe didn't have it in the other First Principles series. There's a reason that it's vitally important in the way to start. And I don't care how many years you've been a Christian or how many decades you've known the Lord or how faithful you are, you need to hear what we're going to hear today. You with me there? In Luke chapter 15, the situation is this. It says in verse 1, Now all the tax collectors, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Who is him? That's Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. We'll stop there. Jesus came. And Jesus came and he said, I am representing God. I am here to show you who God is. I am God's Son. I am God in the flesh. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who were the most religious leaders, the most respected Jewish religious leaders, sorry, I will get it out. You just stay here long enough. And I'm going to get it out. The most, let me say it slowly, the most respected Jewish leaders. Thank you very much for that. One, one person applauded for me. Thank you. Thank you. And now, now there's another, others smattering of applause. Okay. So I'm going to try to speed it up now. 
So they were confused. Because Jesus came and He hung out with all the bad people. He didn't just hang out with them. He welcomed them. He embraced them. He had meals with them. And these Pharisees, teachers of the law, these respected Jewish leaders, could not figure that out. And their question is, why is Jesus hanging out with bad people? Now, here's the thing you need to understand, that if you don't know it yet, read about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, lots of material there. If you don't know him, I believe you're going to fall in love with him. Because the thing that was, so many remarkable things about Jesus. But one of the things that was remarkable about Jesus is that people who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. You ever notice that? And he liked people who were nothing like him. And, and this is what's going on here. And the religion, and you see this today, right? The ultra-religious among us frequently feel like, well, you know, there's good people in the world and there's bad people in the world. And you need to stay away from the bad people. And you have nothing to do with the bad people. And so they, there becomes a, a line drawn. Lines are drawn. Judgments are made. But that's not what Jesus did. And so they're confused. And so Jesus, being the brilliant Son of God that He was, answered their question about why He was hanging out with bad people by telling three parables. If you don't know, parables are short stories that Jesus frequently used to make a spiritual point or to give the people a truth. And it's very powerful. They're illustrating. He was a brilliant, brilliant storyteller. And so he starts answering this question. And he first, he, uh, we won't read it, but there, if you have the, uh, a Bible with sort of you know, headings to it. There's the parable of the lost sheep, and God loses a sheep. And say, if you lost a sheep, wouldn't you go find him? And then there's a lost coin. If you lost a coin, if you lose something valuable, you go find it. So that's the first clue that you need about why Jesus is hanging out with bad people. Because something of value there has been lost, and he feels like it's more, it's important for him to pursue that and reach out. But that's really just setting up for this parable that we're going to read now. It's called the Many people would call it the, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the lost son. There's a lot of other names. The parable of the good father, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the father's love. You can describe it a lot of different ways. But many people would say that it was the most significant parable that Jesus ever told. Many people would say it's been called the pearl of the parables. It's been called the greatest story that was ever told. Charles Dickens said it was the greatest short story ever written. And we read it now. Now, again, I want you to read it for the very first time, maybe. If you haven't read it, if you've read it many times, try to, try to visualize it. Try to set yourself in this situation. Try to imagine yourself there that day as Jesus tells this story to these Jews to help them understand why he's hanging around and welcoming these sinners. Verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Can you imagine that? Before the father even passes away. Now I want to say that 
parables of Jesus have a, have a uh, spiritual meaning. This is not good parenting to give your children uh, your estate early, even if they ask for it. And so none of you should do that. And if any of my children have to be listening to this recording later on, uh, don't bother asking me for your inheritance early because you're not going to get it. But in this story, the father gives the son exactly what he asked for. As insulting, as terrible, as degrading, as, me, as, unimagined, as wicked as that was. Right? Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Later on, we'll find out in the story, part of it we won't even read, is that he was living, a, a lot of that money went to prostitutes. I mean, that's how he was living his life. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine. That means there was a period of time where the economy wasn't going well and there was a lack of food. And he began to meet it in need. And so he went out and hired himself out to the citizen of that country, to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He was now reached so low that he wanted to eat pig food. How low you got to go? Right? I mean, I've heard of people eating dog food by mistake. But anyway, uh, pigs are a filthy animal. Let's just be honest about it, right? I mean, in a relative sense, dogs are just, you know, pure and clean. Pigs. Eating pig food. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am. Starving to death, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He just repeats this speech that he had rehearsed. But he doesn't even get through speaking. And the father says to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Now, we're going to stop there, and some of you may know there's the whole thing with the older brother and the interaction with him, and we'll save that for another lesson for another day. But it's quite a story, huh? This is how Jesus answers the question, and this is a rich Parable. There actually are many lessons here that we'll not get to today. There are many things to learn about what happens when you go off and live a life of sin and how broken and empty that is. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, if you're living in a, a life of sin, there's going to come a day, and it may be today, and it may be soon, and it may be many years from now, where you're going to come to your senses and you're going to realize, you know, this is not what I thought it was going to be. 
this is empty, this is not fulfilling me. And then and then, it may not be today, but I hope whenever that day comes for you, if you're in that situation, that you'll decide to return to God. But we're not going to talk about that. We could talk about the nature of true repentance and the way this man came back. And, you know, there's many other things that we could talk about. But there's really only, I really, one thing that I want to focus on. And I think really the first couple of verses, verse 11 and 12, let's go back and look at those again. They really tell us everything we need to know about how Jesus wants to answer the question about why he's hanging out with these bad people. And it says here again, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. I don't think you have to be perhaps that uh, Intelligent, maybe even to understand this, but the two sons, the younger son represents the sinners, okay? The tax collectors and the sinners, the rebels, the lawbreakers. The older son represents the respected Jewish leaders, the teachers, the Pharisees, uh, of all those people, and they are the law keepers. But this man has a son that was a law keeper. He had a son that was a law breaker. But here's the significance. Here's the picture of God that Jesus wants to have us. God was the father of both of them. God, if you want to understand God and who God is and how God sees you, the most important principle and what Jesus came to show us and tell us and teach us as much as anything is that God loves us like a good father loves his children. And it's not a perfect metaphor, but it's just the best that we could find. Because many of us understand that I'm sure in this room there are many of us who are good fathers. And even though there aren't, all fathers are not good and you may not have had a good father, and you may be in this room and not a good father. I think a lot of us have a picture of what a good father is. And hopefully you've been able to experience that. But if God loves us like we are His children, how significant is that? Even if you're not a parent, I bet you can understand that. Now, many of us are parents. And I can tell you something about... Children, if you have children, you love them instantly. You love them before they're even born. It was crazy when Mary Kay was pregnant with our first child, who later we would name Robbie. When she was I was, that day I found out, I was bouncing off the walls. I was so excited. I remember we had a group Bible study on the campus that I was uh, working with then and leading. And I went, and the first thing I told everybody was about, you know, I was going to be a dad. And I was going to have a son. And shortly after that, you know, my child hadn't even born yet, but, you know, they came and, 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 and we did, and we, we got a sonogram. You know what that is, right? And so they showed me a picture uh, the sonogram with the doctor and says, this is your son. And I go, how can you tell? <laughs> and, they, and, and I couldn't even, I mean, I couldn't tell it was a boy. I couldn't even tell it was a person. 
They said, see here, here's the arms, and there's the little legs. And I go, if you say so. But I tell you, that day, I fell in love with a sonogram. Because that's what you do when you're a parent. And then when the child is born, it just gets worse. Immediately, the child has not done anything. The child is barely just new, new living, doesn't know how to talk, doesn't know how to do anything, can't express love. You know, and you just, you just love that, you just pick up that baby and you just love that baby. Am I right? Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You love that child. And you love them. And it's instantaneous. You don't have to work at it. Nobody has to work. Oh, I'll just, I won't say nobody, but very few people have to work at loving their children. You know, I may, you know, I had to learn to love Mary Kay. And she would tell you that I'm still learning how to love Mary Kay. Okay? But I'm telling you, it's easy with your children. It's as natural as it can be. It's constant. You love them. And so that child grows up, and, you know, I am just, you know, beside myself with, you know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm always doing stupid things. You know, it turns, you know, children turn parents into stupid people, right? And so I'm cooing, and I'm talking. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm using baby talk because I think maybe he'll understand that better. You know, and, and I'm hugging, and I'm... I'm just wanting those first words. And those first words, I'm sorry, they need to be dad-dad. You know, and so I'm working at it, you know, and I'm working at it. I'm looking for him, and I'm hugging him, and I'm holding him, and I'm feeding him, and I'm just looking for some, some way to recognize that he actually recognizes me and loves me. Right? You know what you're talking about? And I clearly remember the day that I was actually in church, and we were afterwards, and I was walking around the, the fellowship, and I was holding Robbie, and, you know, and I was talking to somebody, and, and all of a sudden, I was sure he smiled at me. When I looked at him, I thought, that is so awesome. That's the first time he's ever smiled. And the person standing with me goes, no, he didn't smile at you. He just has gas. <laughs> and I go, well, thanks a lot. Thanks, thanks for ruining my day. But you know, parents know what I'm talking about. It never, it never goes away, this love you have for your children. And as they grow up, it's constant. It's continuous. It never goes away. And it doesn't matter how many children you have, right? Because I went on and I had three children. You know, and that seemed overwhelming, so we stopped. But some of you had more than three children. And you had, I mean, ridiculous amounts of children. But it's something about the way that we're made. And I think it's something about us that's God-like, is that no matter how many children you have, you, before they're born, you might, I wonder, if I, could, I wonder if I could love this one the same way. I wonder if I could love this one the same amount. And as soon as they're born, you just you love them all. You have a capacity to love all of your children, no matter how many you have. Are you following me there? So the power, the power of this parable is that God, that Jesus shows us that the way that God thinks about us, the way that God thinks about all of us, 
is that He loves us as a father loves his son or a father loves his daughter. And the shocking thing is, the shock value of the parable, what the Jewish leaders, religious leaders didn't anticipate is that God loves all of His children this way, no matter who they are or how they're living. All of us. All of us today sitting here are God's children. It's not you're like God's child, or you used to be God's child, or you might be God's child. All of us are God's children. And that was shocking. And maybe that's even shocking for you today. But Jesus says, I hang out with all these people that you may judge, and they may be living sinful lives, and that may be all real, and that may be all true, but they are my child as much as you are. And I love them as much as I love my other children. God loves the lawbreakers and the law keepers. He loves all His children. He loves them the same. You may not know God. He loves you as much as He does anybody else in this room. You may not believe in God. He loves you as much as anybody else in this room. You may ignore God. You may be rebelling against God. You may be, don't ever think about God. You may be living, who knows how, wherever, whoever you are, God loves you as His son, as His daughter. No matter how many you have. You know, if you understand this, everything else in this parable then makes sense. Of course, we already talked about the younger son. He's living a wild life. It doesn't turn out to be what he thought it would. He realizes his need. That makes sense. The next thing that happens, he decides to come back. And that was a hard decision for him to make. And you know why it was a hard decision? Because he's like a lot of us. He initially can't believe that the way he's been living, that God would accept him and embrace him and love him the same way that he loved his other children. He thought he had to earn his salvation. And that's why initially when he plans to come back, he says, look, I'm just going to, you know, I, I don't even, don't call me your son anymore. I haven't earned the right, I don't deserve to be called your son. He says, just let me be one of the hired servants. But here's the thing. we got a lot of good fathers in this room, I bet. For the most part, if this is your son or your daughter, and they've been living a certain way, and they come back to you in this place, you would have reacted exactly like the father in this story did. Now, there is a, an upward call to it. There's some parts of it that I go, well, you know, like he shows up and while he's a long way off, the father sees him and 
you know, runs to him and throws his arm around and kissed him. I, you know, I mean, I, I need to grow. I probably would have stayed on the porch and waited till he got there. But I would have, ha- I would have been happy to see him, right? I'm just being honest with you. That's where I need to grow because at the very best, any of us, there's no perfect fathers in this room. I'm just a good father. I'm not where I need to be. I need to work on this. But this is God. This is how God loves. And God may be disappointed in you at times. And God may be angry with you. And God may be frustrated with you. And those are true emotions. And you can see that God, you read the Bible and you read stories and there are different times that God feels that way. But more than anything, above all that, more importantly than all that, what God loves, what what God feels and thinks about you is that I love that one. I love this one. You are my child. You are my child. No matter how you live or the bad choices you might make, I love you and any good father, any good mother loves their parents unconditionally or loves their children unconditionally. And hopefully you'll love your parents unconditionally too. Everything else makes sense. While he's still a long way off, verse 20, the father saw him. You know why? You know why, don't you? Because he was looking for him. I think Jesus intends us to understand that every day, no matter how long that son had been away from him and how often long he'd been separated, how long he'd been going his own way, and how long he'd been, you know, living his wild life, that that, that, that father went outside and he looked down that road every day and he prayed and he wanted and he desired to see his son coming home. The title for the sermon today, I waited till now to give it to you, is Eyes on the Road. Because God has His eyes on the road. And no matter where you are today, if you're apart from Him, He is eagerly looking for you, waiting for you, wanting you to come home. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Right? This is what the Jews, the Jewish religious leaders didn't understand. They would have filled in the blanks differently. Jesus was filled with, the father was filled with what? Compassion. You might have expected him to say, and he was angry. And he was reminded of how terrible his son had treated him. And he was resentful. And he was wondering what he should do. And he was confused. No, he was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son. Have you ever tried to picture that? Now, this guy is an old enough dad. To have a son who was an adult and who'd moved away and spent some time spending all of his inheritance. I, the guy was wealthy, so it must have taken him a while. So I don't know how old the dad is. Have you ever sit, seen a middle-aged man run? It's not a pretty sight. Yes, thank you. 
Thank you. I remember when my dad, uh, you know, we, we were a big sports family, and my dad loved sports, and he played softball into his 40s. And he would always take me to the games, and I liked to see my dad play softball. And, but then, you know, when he was in, he played outfield, and then he was running in the outfield. And it seemed like his legs were moving, but he wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> right? And then he would run the bases. And, you know, and I, and, and, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to say anything, but that is really sad. <laughs> and, and I sort of made a decision in my heart. I go, you know, when I am in my middle-aged years, I'm going to stop running in front of people. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to keep that to myself. But then, sure enough, so <laughs> you know this story. So we had this church league basketball league for many years. And they had a Masters League, and you had to be 35 to be in it, and I qualified. And I played in the Masters League for like five years. I was playing full-court basketball till I was 42, which was way too long. And, but anyway, it's, it's amazing. In my own mind, as I ran up and down the court, I was just flowing, you know. I felt like I was just striding. I felt like I was good. Maybe I'll slow down a little bit, and then... You know, unfortunately, they had this thing they've been in now, video recorders. And so some well-meaning soul, uh, probably the same one that told me my son didn't smile, he just passed gas, he videotaped one of our games. And he wanted to let me see it, and he showed it to me. And I watched it, and I go, I kept rewinding. I go, that cannot be me <laughs> running up and down the court. And uh, I want you to know, Joel, I retired from basketball shortly after that. But this father, this is what God, he is, he does not hesitate. He runs. He doesn't walk. He runs. And he doesn't care how indignified he may look. And he doesn't care how humiliating that might be to, to be seen by others. He doesn't care about if people disrespect him because of that he has one thought in mind my son has come home my daughter has come home the main point today the sermon title is eyes on the road the main point is simple there is nothing you can do that will stop god from loving you there's nothing that you can do for good it's going to cause God to love you any more than He already does. And there's nothing you can do that's bad or evil that's going to cause God to love you any less than He does right now. And that means that no matter where you are, no matter where you are on the, on the totem pole of morality, you still need God. And no matter where you are, God still has a way for you to come home. That's what God thinks when He thinks about you. Are you someone that God has been missing? You know, one thing that all parents understand, you know, we, we, we focus a lot on the... And it's, it's so exciting when a child is born and there's such great joy in parenting and that, that always is there. But you know what we, a lot of us don't realize until later is there's a lot of pain in parenting. Right? 
Can we be honest about that? There's a lot of pain. Because your children don't maybe do what they should, or they don't live the way they should, or they don't treat you the way they should, or they don't make good choices sometimes. And it's painful. Here's what I want you to know. That's, you know why it hurts? It hurt. We love them so much it hurts. Right? God loves us the same way. He loves us so much that it hurts. God is in pain for every person here who has walked away from Him and who is still living apart from Him. And you know what He's doing? His eyes are on the road. He's looking. And He's looking for you, His son, His daughter, to come home. You know, the last part of this, we'll close out, is He throws a big party. Immediately. Again, this is an upward call to me. I think I would be really excited to have my son home after so many years. But I would have probably held off on the party for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? But again, that's God. God always is ready to forgive. God always has a vision for us. God is always eager not just to forgive us, but to bless us. And for anybody that comes back to Him, it's simple. God is saying, let the party begin. We've got children running around all over the church building. So here's your assignment. It's simple this week. I hope it will help you. I would like you to have a conversation. Have a good conversation with someone this week. You can choose whoever it is. Somebody, and you, it's, it should be a, a two-way conversation where you just talk about what do you think about when God thinks about you. Because I think it's harder than to imagine that maybe it should be, but we need to help each other to understand that God may feel a lot of things and might may think a lot of things, but more than anything, what God wants you to understand is that He loves you more than you can possibly imagine, and He always will, no matter how you're living your life, no matter how you've been living, or no matter how you will live. All of us, the lawbreakers and the lawkeepers, are all God's children. Let's pray together. God, thank You for the opportunity to learn from Jesus. We're so glad Jesus came. We would never even have a hope of understanding who you are really, and we're so glad that you're a father, not just a good father, but a perfect father. And help us to understand it in our own hearts. Help us to help each other to understand it. And uh, it's such a, such a blessing. Uh, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.